Good evening and welcome again. There's a huge void here tonight. When you take away the young folks, it leaves quite a gap. And that might be that you're a parent and you're glad to see that gap. But it sure looks, uh, sure looks desolate to my left. And uh, hopefully and prayerfully, they're going to have a great week. They'll learn a lot and come back enthused. And it might be the case that if you're a parent, they'll come back worn out. And you'll get a little rest. We're going to be looking tonight at several passages of Scripture as we think together about the theme, Foundations for Being an Elder. A couple of weeks ago, Brother D.O. stood before the church and said that he would like for those of us who belong to the church here to begin looking out among us for men who would meet the qualifications, the criterion set forth in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and Titus chapter 1, to serve as an elder. And the work of an elder is a great work. And I admire any man who's willing to serve in that capacity. I'm also grateful for the wives of those who serve as elders because it takes a lot of support for a man to do the work of an elder. And so we've been asked to look out among ourselves to find men that would meet the criterion. And we've had a lot of stability through the years since I've been here in the eldership and the elders have worked together. They have prayed together and they have sought to do the very best to lead this church and we appreciate them. We understand that there are needs and so we hope and pray that some good men will come forward and willingly serve in this capacity. I want to begin tonight as we think about the foundations for being an elder. Sometimes you have to lay a foundation. As a matter of fact, before you build a home you have to lay a foundation and then you build upon that foundation. Sometimes it's good for us to maybe step back and reflect upon some of the challenges inherent in the work itself. And so tonight I want to begin by talking about the challenges that face any and every eldership. The challenges that we face here may be somewhat different from other congregations, but by and large the challenges are the same. Because really we're talking about the business of the church. And the business of the church ought to take priority. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so putting the kingdom first, and those who serve as elders understand the great importance of putting the kingdom first, and their goal is to get those of us who belong to the body of Christ to a point in our spiritual lives where we are putting the kingdom first. Hopefully and prayerfully, we do that of our own volition. It might be the case that sometimes elders have to prod people to encourage them to seek first the kingdom. I want to begin as we think about the challenges to the eldership, the fact that it is a business. I want to submit to you tonight that the work of the church is the greatest business in the world. And the reason is because the church is one of three divine institutions. The first, of course, would be the home. 
And you can read of that in the establishment of the home back in Genesis chapter 2. And then there is the civil government. The civil government exists for a purpose. So that those of us who live in particular countries, at least for our purposes, we live here in America, so that we might live and enjoy the blessings and the freedoms of this land, worship and serve God, and not fear outside harm. They are intended, those who serve in government positions, are intended to protect the innocent, to convict the wrongdoers. And then there is the church, and the church was a part of God's eternal plan in Ephesians 3, verses 9 through 11. The church today exists according to God's eternal purpose. And so it is of the utmost importance that we uphold the work of the church. Let me just make some suggestions along these lines as we think about some of the challenges that are unique to the eldership. First, I would state that the church has the greatest master. The one who functions as the head of the church is Jesus Christ. And you go back and you can look at the scriptures and over and over again the Bible talks about the importance of the relationship that Jesus has to the church. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ was the founder of the church. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said to Simon Peter, and I also say unto you that you are Peter and upon this rock I'll build my church. And he said, the gates of Hades would not prevail against it. Jesus, as the founder of the church, purchased it with his own blood, according to Acts 20, at verse 28. And so the church came at a great price. And then not only is Jesus the founder of the church, but he is the foundation of the church. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, at verse 11, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. So Christ is the founder and foundation of the church. And then in Ephesians 2 verse 20, Paul said that Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the church. And the idea here is that everything rests upon Jesus. The church itself rests upon him. And I mentioned that he is the head of the church. Jesus regulates the church, of course, by his divine will, the law of Christ, Galatians 6 at verse 2. So the church has the greatest master, and then secondly, it has the greatest mandate. Look, if you would, at what Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 19. The Lord said, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he said, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This mandate is unrivaled. There is no other mandate that you will ever read about that carries the weight that this one does. Again, you think about the challenges that are inherent to the eldership as well as the church. We have the marching orders to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person. Now, there are a lot of policies and there are a lot of programs that are put in place by people in, in important places. But there will never be a mandate to rival the Great Commission. There are individuals that have very important tasks in our world. Some individuals have a lot of power 
And because of their office or their position and their position of power, they have the opportunity to do a lot of good. But when you think about the gospel and sharing that gospel with the world and the fact that Jesus gave this commission, not only is it unrivaled, but it is an urgent mandate. What other mandate do you know of that carries with it the salvation of the souls of people? When I think about how this mandate is unrivaled, nothing even comes close to it. And then when I take into account that the bulk of the world is lost and dying in sin, elders have the responsibility of making sure that the church is moving in the right direction and accomplishing this goal, this task, of taking the gospel into all the world. We try to do as much good as we can, domestically speaking. We try to do good in this city. We try to do good in North Mississippi. And then on a larger scale, statewide, and then we go beyond the borders of the U.S., doing everything within our power to reach out to the lost and dying. You see, what Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, is still relevant. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The remedy for sin is the gospel. Without the gospel, people are going to be lost. You remember in Ephesians 2, verse 12? Paul talked about those who are without hope and without God in this world. In verse 13, though, he said, But now in Christ Jesus, you that once were far off were made nigh, brought near by the blood of Christ. So it has the greatest mandate. Let me just add to this. The church has the responsibility of evangelizing and then secondly edifying. It's not enough to reach out to the lost to share the gospel with them, to see them obey the gospel. We have to encourage people to obey the gospel and then to stay in the gospel. That is to be faithful, to ground them in the fundamentals of the faith. Jesus said we're to teach them to observe all things. And so the all things would encompass the gospel, the faith that's been once and for all delivered. And then let's just talk about the greatest message. Why is the gospel so unique? Why is it a message of urgency? Why is it unrivaled? Because it's a message of salvation, isn't it? What other message do you know that has the power to change the hearts and lives of people? Now, there are a lot of people in our world, there are a lot of people in our country that place a lot of importance on politics. I think we need to understand what's going on in the world around us. We need to make sure that we do all that we can to vote people into office that will try to uphold morality, freedoms that we hold dear to us. But politically speaking, politics takes a back seat to the gospel. You see, the political parties that we have in our country, while they may do good, they don't have the ability to save. But Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So when you think about the greatness of this message, as a matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 2 at verse 4, the writer talks about the great salvation. 
And the question is, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? God's salvation is great. And we're salesmen. We're trying to sell the gospel, aren't we? We're trying to reach out and sell them a message of hope and security. There are two things that come to mind when I think about the greatness of this message. One is salvation and the other is security. All of us want to feel secure, don't we? We try to do everything within our power to secure and fortify ourselves in this country. Sometimes we go to great lengths to make sure that we're living in a place of security. But the gospel is the only message that can give true everlasting security. There are a lot of people in our world today, they spend a lot of money on alarms and fences. There are a lot of people in our society today that go to great lengths to protect themselves in the event of some type of accident and they buy insurance. There are some that take out large life insurance policies. Again, all of that in an effort to afford security to their family members. But the gospel has the power to secure the hearts and lives of people. And so when I think about selling the gospel and sharing the gospel, I have a unique message that bar none has no rivals. You think about sitting down with somebody whose life has been broken and marred by sin, somebody who feels insecure, somebody who lacks self-worth, the gospel can do all of that. It can provide the things that people need most. Security, a relationship, a relationship to God. Isn't it interesting the number of people in our, in our country that are just like Solomon? They've tried everything. They're still out here in a quest to fill that innate void in the human heart. They try drugs, they try alcohol, they try money, they try materialism, they try fame, they try everything and yet nothing seems to satisfy. But we have the answer, don't we? It's a gospel. And so elders have the responsibility of upholding this great message. And then there is the greatest motivation. Why would I want to share the gospel with other people? Why would those of us who belong to the body of Christ, why would we be interested in taking the gospel to those around us? Well, one reason is because Jesus said that's what we're supposed to do. But a second reason ought to be because we are motivated by love. The whole gospel, that is, the gospel of Christ as we know it, is undergirded by one word, it's love. Listen to Jesus in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. To know that we can, out of love, engage in the various works of the church to evangelize, to edify, to meet the needs of people. I like the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. When he said, the love of Christ constrains us. What is it that motivates you to be a faithful Christian? 
What is it that motivates you to tell others about Christ? Hopefully it's your love for God. The Bible talks about it in Hebrews chapter 6. How God is not unrighteous to forget our works and labor of love. If Christianity is not a labor of love to you, then you'll never be what you ought to be in Christ. And you'll never share this message with other people. You'll never be plugged in to the body like you should be. And so, being motivated by love, and if you look at the life of Paul for one, I see a guy that did everything within his power to reach out to people, to meet the needs of people, spiritually speaking. The backdrop was love. That was the motivating factor. Let me just talk for a minute or two about the characteristics of the eldership. There are some challenges that are inherent in the eldership. There are challenges that are unique to every eldership. And again, I think about the magnitude of the office, office itself. I like the words of Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, when he said, If any man desires the office, some translations say the work of an elder. He desires a good work. To be an elder is an awesome responsibility. And the position itself is worthy of our respect. But we need to understand it is a work. Just like being a preacher. Do the work of an evangelist. It's a work. Those who serve as deacons are involved in a work. And hopefully and prayerfully all of us as members of the body of Christ are involved in the work. Let me just share with you some characteristics of the eldership. And again, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel or anything. These are just common sense principles that ought to be characteristic to every eldership. First of all, first of all I believe that elders must be competent. And by that, I mean they have to have aptitude in certain areas of life, don't they? For example, they must be men who know the book. That is, they have to know the Bible. You remember what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3? He would say, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. God's Word is profitable. Those who serve as elders in the Lord's church have to spend a lot of time reading and studying and getting to know the Word of God. One of the characteristics of an elder is that he is not to be a novice. That is, he's not new to the faith. So they have to be men who know the book. Paul would say in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Study. To show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So there has to be a competency level among those who serve as elders. In Titus chapter 1 at verse 9, Paul said, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. I think about men who serve as elders who at a very early age 
had the opportunity, no doubt, to sit at the feet of some great men. They had the opportunity to learn the first principles. Now, some who serve as elders maybe learn the truth later in life. But through study and meditation, have grown and matured in the faith, and they are well acquainted with what the Bible teaches. But men who, are, who have a strong aptitude in Scripture, again, Paul said, holding fast to the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. That's in verse 9 of chapter 1 in the book of Titus. One of the reasons why elders have to be apt to teach, have, why they need to know the Bible, is so they can encourage, and then, if perchance, individuals try to trouble the church with false teaching, they can stand up and stop it. For example, look at Titus chapter 1 in verse 10. Paul said there are many insubordinate, unruly, and vain talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. In verse 11 he said, whose mouths must be stopped. Elders are a congregation's first line of defense. They have the responsibility of guarding the flock, protecting the church. So that means they have to know the book. So that if something is said that would contradict the clear, plain teaching of Scripture, they can stop it in its tracks. Now if you drop down and look at verse 13, Paul here in talking about the qualifications of those who serve as elders, and the fact that sometimes they have to stand up. In verse 13, I'm reminded of the fact that elders have to be willing sometimes to stand face-to-face and toe-to-toe with somebody and say, look, you're wrong. Note, if you would, what Paul said. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. To serve as an elder is not an easy job. Sometimes people need to be corrected. They have to be shown, look, this is what the Bible says. And this is what we're going to uphold in this congregation. And so elders have to know the book. And then, as I think about their competency... They have to know people. One of the qualifications of an elder, according to Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3, is that they are to be given to hospitality. And the idea is they are to be a people person. Not everybody is people-oriented. There are some folks, they, they just don't know people. They're not a student of humanity. They don't know how to read people. They don't know how to talk to people. They don't know how to listen to people. Sometimes individuals don't know how to get along with people. So you can't have somebody in the eldership that's not a people person. Now, it doesn't mean that 
somebody who serves as an elder is going to be faultless from the vantage point. He's not ever going to make a mistake. But I think an elder as a human being has to understand and know how people in the human family operate. So he has to be a student of people. has to know people. And then elders have to know how to lead. One of, the, one of the real responsibilities of being an elder is leading. You ever thought about the word lead? It's spelled L-E-A-D. Now you could read that lead or you could read it led. Think about it. Heard somebody say one time, sometimes elders need to think about getting the lead out so they can lead. Makes sense. But to be a leader, Jesus in John chapter 10 talked about being the good shepherd. And he said, I know my sheep and they know me. He said, they know my voice and they follow me. Elders can't lead if people won't follow. I remember many years ago, I was with a congregation and there was a change in the leadership. And we had a couple of guys that were serving as elders. And they were good guys. And sometimes you have people that would make good deacons and they're in the eldership. And maybe that was the case here. But the congregation as a whole wanted a change. And so a change came forth. And it was done in a very amicable way. But I remember one of the men standing up before the other men of the congregation. And he said, I can see that the church has lost confidence in me as an elder. So I'm willing to step aside. He realized that people weren't willing to follow him. And so he graciously bowed out. I had and have a lot of respect for that attitude. The church is bigger than any one man or any one family. And so when men are put in the position of being an elder, a leader, they have to be willing to lead, yes. And they have to have the ability to lead. They have to, they have to also be in a position where the people are willing to follow them. You can't lead if people won't follow. And so they have to be competent. And then they have to be caretakers. That is, they have to know how to take care of the church of God. Paul talks about the responsibilities of being an elder in the church and the qualifications. And he talks about if somebody doesn't know how to rule his house, the question is, how will he know how to take care of the church of God? I think that's a good question. So as I think about taking care of the church of God, First, I'm reminded that elders have the responsibility of guiding the church, leading the church, as I mentioned a moment ago. Again, the words of Jesus in 
John chapter 10, verse 27, as he talked about his relationship to the sheep, he said, I know my sheep. They hear my voice. They follow me to guide or to lead in the paths of righteousness. The intent of every elder, and I know that the elders of this congregation, I know that their prayer, their desire is to see every member go to heaven. That's, that's our goal. And so we have, to be, we have to be guided in the paths of righteousness, don't we? There's a right way, there's a wrong way. So we want to make sure that we are guided correctly. Elders also have the responsibility of feeding the church. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul said, Take heed to yourselves, to all the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. To ensure that the, that the church is being taught correctly. That the church is being built up in the faith. It takes a lot of work to oversee a congregation, doesn't it? A lot of variables. And there are a lot of factors, a lot of responsibilities, but one of the greatest responsibilities is to ensure that the church in a given location is receiving a steady and healthy diet of God's Word. I appreciate the elders here. I've always appreciated their support and their encouragement. The fact that they've always encouraged me to just preach, preach the Bible, teach the Bible. You can't put a premium on that because there are a lot of, a lot of places you can't do that. To be able to preach and teach, and to be able to sit in Bible classes and listen to the Word of God, and to, to listen to rich lessons, to be built up, it's a great blessing. It's a team effort. And then elders have the responsibility of protecting the church. As I mentioned a moment ago in Titus chapter 1, elders are, they are that front line of defense when it comes to the congregation. Jesus talked about how we are to be on guard, to beware of false prophets that come in sheep's clothing, but he said inwardly they are ravening wolves. Elders have the responsibility of protecting those of us that belong to this congregation to watch out for my soul. And I might add, if I'm out of line, if something is not right in my life, they have the responsibility of saying, look, here, here's, here's where you're wrong. Here's what's right. You need to get back on the right track. And they can do that in a loving, kind, and encouraging way. It's been done in the past, and I have no doubt that it'll be done in the future. And then... A third thing that stands out, elders have to be cooperative. The eldership that we've had since I've been here the last almost eight years, as far as I know, has been cooperative, worked together in harmony and unity and love, and I've appreciated that. And I appreciate elders that, that work together, again, 
No one person is bigger than the church. I remember Brother Gus Nichols used to say, every man can have his say, but every man can't have his way. When elders meet to discuss the works of the church and the various things that are going on in the church, sometimes in areas of expediency, maybe maybe there are some disagreements. But once everything has been hashed out, discussed, and conclusions are drawn, they come out the door with a unified front, a unified face. And the idea is they're united. Jesus said a house divided against itself can't stand. A kingdom divided against itself can't stand. An eldership that's divided can't stand. So there has to be cooperation. One of the great, I think one of the great earmarks of this congregation is that we strive to work together. And I think we do work together. I don't think we're perfect by any means. I know we have our flaws, we have our faults. There are areas that no doubt we could do better in. But I think we're striving to be what the Lord would have us to be. And we're doing our, we're trying to do our best to advance the cause of Christ in this community. And the elders have been united. And I have every reason to believe that when new men are appointed to this work, that there will be cohesion and unity a church can't rise above its leadership. If the leadership isn't united, you can bet the church won't be united. And so, I would encourage you tonight, as I'm sure you have been doing over the past few days, look out among yourselves. Identify men that meet the criterion that's set forth in the scriptures. Maybe sit down and talk to them. You may have questions. Talk to them. And if the person that you talk to meets the criterion set forth in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus 1, and they say, I'm willing to serve, then go to the elders and tell them. And then we'll see where things fall. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for the church. We're thankful to be members of the church. We are so thankful for all the blessings that we enjoy. We're grateful for the church here at Olive Branch. We're thankful for our elders, Brother D.O. and Brother George and Brother Tim. And we're thankful for, we're thankful for their labor, for their labor of love, we're thankful for the unity that has been a part of the eldership through the years. And we ask us, we ask, Father, at this time that you would bless us with the wisdom to identify the right men to step in and help. And Father, we pray that you would bless us, help us to look to your word and to allow it to govern our decisions and our recommendations. 
And Father, we pray that you would bless us all in your service. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to think seriously about becoming a child of God. You know, the Bible says that we're to walk by faith and not by sight. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you believe Jesus to be the Son of God and you'd be willing to repent of your sins and be baptized into Christ, the Bible assures us that God will put you in His church, according to Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and verse 47. And if you'll be faithful until death, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. It might be the case that you're here tonight and you're not what you ought to be as a Christian. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. James said, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. We'd be happy to do that with you and for you tonight as we stand and sing.